Good morning and welcome to worship today at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor here and it's such a joy to be with you all as we, as we prepare and continue to wait for the coming of Christ and especially also this day for the coming of Christmas. With that, I want to offer a word of prayer for you all this day. God, thank you so much for your love and your life. Thank you so much for this time of year Help us as we come to you to wait on you. Help us as we praise you to, to journey together with you to you. Be our God and be our guide as we make these last steps towards Christmas. And may you be blessed, Almighty Father. Amen. Each week at this time of year, we, we light candles to help us prepare and to wait for the coming of Christmas and prepare and wait for the, the coming of Christ. At this time, I'd like to invite the Smith family to come forward as they share our devotion this morning and light our candles of Advent. Often we sing the songs of God that speaks of his vast majesty and awe. How great is our God! Our God is mighty to save, a mighty fortress is our God. It is true that God is mighty and almighty. It is true that God is above all. But there is more to this story than this. God may be big, God also choose love, and love is always particular. And God choose a tiny town, a place called Bethlehem, to give his love to the world. How small of our God, how particular is our God. The prophets told us it would be this way. And for Bethlehem and Thadim, through you are the least significant of Judah's forces. One who is to be a ruler of Israel on behalf will come out from you. So Bethlehem, that least significant place, became the place of the most significant love. As we light this candle of love, we affirm the hopes and fears of all the years are met in the tonight. O oh Lord, you are the Emmanuel, you are the God who came to us, come again to us this day, amen, amen. Eleven years ago, I, I got to participate in uh, uh, the trip of a lifetime, so to speak. I was, I was in my final semester of seminary, and as part of the class, a group of us uh, were able to go on a trip to the Holy Land. Actually, this was part of a World Methodist Evangelism Conference that was happening in Jerusalem, so it wasn't just us. But it was people from all around the world, and what an interesting bunch were there. Uh, so part, this was part pilgrimage, part conference, and part class. And I have to say, it was a great trip. I have, uh, I have uh, kind of to say that just so much of this trip transformed the way I see the Bible and transformed a lot about the way I think about foreign policy and the world. I'm not going to bore you with my foreign policy thoughts today. Some of you would leave mad and some of you would leave happy. So we'll just leave that as it is. Um, but, but what I do want to say is, is that being in the Holy Land was a place that really spoke to me, at least spoke to the way I see Scripture. And I remember, one of the things I remember about the trip is that we were staying, when we stayed in Jerusalem for part of the trip, we stayed in this Jewish hotel. And, and the worst part about the Jewish hotel um, was, was on Sabbath. Because you see, on Sabbath, all the people, all the Jewish people, they had to observe Sabbath. Um, but of course, the hotel still had to run. So 
activity and, and stuff had to happen, but people had to be able to observe Sabbath. And, and there was a, a lot of work around the hotel that had to take place on Sabbath. And maybe some of you are familiar with this, but the, the elevator was put in Sabbath mode. This was the first time I'd ever heard about this, but you know, it would be work if you had to, were able to, com- had to complete a circuit by pushing a button on an elevator. And so that would be work. And so to keep um, Jewish patrons from having to push a button to call their floor, the elevator on Sabbath mode just accommodated this by stopping at every floor. Every floor on the way up, every floor on the way down. Um, the, the hotel was kind of a high rise, and so this took a while. So if you were in a hurry, you, you might have to take the stairs. Um, but, but whatever the case may be, it accommodated those that were trying their best to keep Sabbath. I ran into an issue with these regulations, not so much with the elevator, um, but you see like many, if, if not most, and now let's be honest here, uh, most people in the modern world, at least me, I mean, have a bit of a, a caffeine addiction. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I embrace it. That's right. I embrace it completely. I will say that I am caffeine dependent. Um, once someone who drank, uh, I believe she drank much more coffee than, than I ever have, she told me that she wasn't addicted to caffeine. And then I asked, well, how long have you gone without caffeine? And of course she hadn't. So just kind of left the conversation at that. Had, had no, no um, you know, no, nothing, nothing else. And it's probably better that way. Uh, but you see, if I don't attend to my caffeine intake, I, I get tired, I get headaches, you know, the, the kind of standard thing that happens. Well, we were in this Jewish hotel on Sabbath, and I really, let's be honest, I really needed coffee. And, and, um, and, and so we were in the lobby, and, and there was, I went up to the little stand where the barista was there, and he would normally pull espresso and, and make lattes and do the such. And, 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 and this guy, he, he wasn't Jewish, okay? I want to be very clear about this. This was a Palestinian um, uh, working there, and he wasn't Jewish, and he was one of the Palestinian workers in the hotel. And so I asked the guy for coffee. I asked him if he could, could make me coffee. Now, remember, it's Sabbath. So my thinking goes, well, this guy's working, he's working at the coffee stand, and um, he's not Jewish, so he wouldn't be breaking any rules by making uh, and allowing me to buy coffee. Well, it didn't work out too well. Evidently, it was hotel policy for him not to make coffee on, on the Sabbath. And, and to this day, I don't really understand this. And there's some other things that I didn't really understand about the situation. Uh, but, but the dude was working on Sabbath. It wasn't his Sabbath, mind you, but he was working on Sabbath. But he couldn't be allowed to work in a way that it would allow me to not be inconvenienced. He couldn't be allowed to work in a way that allowed me to have my coffee. Regardless, I left defeated, and so I started stealing um, instant coffee for the rest of the trip. So I wouldn't be, you know, every time we're at breakfast, there's this instant Nescafe, that became mine. And I took it with me, and I carried it for the rest of my trip, and made sure I would not be in the predicament again. Honestly, though, the most uh, memorable time that I remember spending in the Holy Land was when we were in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Is a beautiful, a magical, and a conflicted place. During our time there, we met with peace activists. We, 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 we toured through one of the refugee camps. And, and, and these refugee camps, they're home to, to multiple generations who were displaced from their homes when the nation of Israel was founded. 
And so many of the families that were in this refugee camp in Bethlehem would consider themselves Jerusalemites. Bethlehem is just next door to Jerusalem. And, and so they would consider Jerusalem their home, yet this camp sits right on this giant separation wall that the nation of Israel built around the year 2000. And so families who were expelled from Jerusalem literally are in their, their homes in this refugee camp for like five generations, and they can't even see the city that they believe is home. Graffiti adorns the walls and hearkens for a brighter day. If you ever enter my office, there is a, uh, you'll likely notice a piece of art that, that's on the wall. It, it's, a, it's a piece of graffiti that I took a picture of, and then my wife uh, used pastels and made a print for me. I don't know what you call it if a pastel painting. It's not a painting, but whatever it is. Uh, a canvas out of, that, out of that picture, and it adorns a wall, and it has the word, stay human. It reminds me and all who enter that's important, that amidst Whatever adversity that you encounter, you stay human and remember your common humanity. Anyways, but before, the, uh, before the occupation, before the, the current turmoil, believers, believers in Jesus Christ have always made the journey to Bethlehem. They've always made the journey, the pilgrimage to Bethlehem to visit the birthplace of Jesus. You see, in the midst of a broken world, God chose a particular place. God chose a particular place. God chose Bethlehem. God chose Bethlehem to be, to be the place where his son would leave heaven, where Jesus would be born. If God can choose a specific place like Bethlehem to bring hope and, and to bring to bring hope and, and love into a broken and hopeless world, I want you to know that God can choose you too. And God can renew and redeem all that is broken in you. For the past 2,000 years, 2000 years, people of faith have, have pointed to a specific cave in Bethlehem as the birthplace of Jesus. So, so we really have records going back to the, the second century that, that Christians uh, were on pilgrimage to this specific place, this specific cave in Bethlehem, and they saw this as the birth of Jesus. So likely what happened is, is that uh, tradition and, 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 and local, local knowledge kept being handed down and saying, this is where Jesus was born. This is where Jesus was born. And then by the year... By the year uh, like 135, 135, the Roman emperor said, well, a lot of people think Jesus was born in this place, so let's turn it into a pagan temple and let's try to run all the Christians, all these Jewish believers, or these Jesus believers out. But, but anyway, so, so Jesus was born in this cave in Bethlehem, and, and we, we often think if you have a manger scene at home, it likely doesn't look like a cave. Perhaps it looks like a Sea Rock City barn, you know, um, you, you, you know it, You're, we're not in Chattanooga, but you know Sea Rock City, right? So there's barns that, that dot all over the, the area around here, reminding you to Sea Rock City. And there's these beautiful, iconic things of the southeast United States, and maybe they're elsewhere too, I don't know. But, um, but anyways, they, they, we have this idea that Jesus was born in a stable, in a barn like these Sea Rock City barns. But in the first century, there, there wouldn't have been Sea Rock City barns for multiple reasons. Primarily, Rock City was here, and you know the Holy Land is there, and you just wouldn't know about Rock City. And um, the fairies hadn't taken up habitation in Rock City yet. Anyways, I'm on the back end of a cold and getting kind of like 
uh, distracted about Rock City, evidently. Rock City's really pretty this time of year. If you've never been, um, they have a beautiful garden of lights. It's a, I mean, they should be paying me for what I'm saying. Uh, so if you end up in Chattanooga this time of year, go to Rock City and, and you can see Santa Claus and see all the beautiful lights above the city. Anyways, so, so the, but, but caves, um, caves in the first century really served the same purpose as like stables and barns do today. Oftentimes what you would have would be people would have a dwelling place and then next to their dwelling place, there would be like an outcropping, there would be these caves, and, and people would use adjacent caves for stables and for storage, okay? And so when we read that Jesus was born, there's no room in the inn that Jesus was born in the barn, so to speak. It was probably in, in this rock outcropping that, that he was born in. So for 2,000 years, Christians have been going to this particular cave in Bethlehem to mark the birthplace of Jesus. Today, there's a church that sits over the place. It's called the Church of the Nativity. And this church actually represents the oldest, oldest church that has been used for Christian worship. In fact, the, the cave itself, not including the church, it, we believe this is the place where Christian worship has continued from the earliest point on up to today, uninterrupted. So for nearly, really nearly 2,000 years, Christians have been worshiping at this cave. And then later on, a, a church was built over top of it. And then when, when the Persians came in and, and took over the Holy Land, they saw these wise men, these people that looked like them, that were in the mosaics in the church, and they decided, even though they burned so many holy structures, they left the church in the nativity because it paid homage, they thought, to those of their own culture. Anyways, today, if you go into the church of the nativity, it's a beautiful place, and I remember walking down the stairs from the, the nave area, the sanctuary area, and you, you walk into this place down in the basement that's known as, as the Grotto of the Nativity. And inside, you're able to prostrate yourself on the floor, lay down on the floor, and, and you will see this cut out with candles above it, and there's a 14-pointed star. 14 generations, we're told in the Bible, uh, that has to do with the 14 generations before Jesus. And anyways, there's a 14-pointed star with an inscription that's translated from the Latin that says, Here Jesus Christ was born to the Virgin Mary. Perhaps you've seen this. A beautiful, powerful, powerful place. Today I want to draw your attention to Bethlehem. To Bethlehem, oh little town of Bethlehem. In fact, as we've been preparing for Christmas and for the coming of Christ, we have been considering various Christmas carols each week. And this week, our carol, theme carol for the day is, O little town of Bethlehem. It is truly easy to see that generations and generations of Jesus followers have their hopes and dreams and hopes and fears of all the years met in the bound up in this place, in this place called Bethlehem. And you see, this wasn't by accident. If you read the ancient prophets, it was foretold that this lowly town, this small town of Bethlehem, was where the Messiah would be born. Uh, Sheila read it just a few moments ago in, in Micah chapter 5. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, this is where I'm going to be reading Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 2, where we read these words. As for you, Bethlehem of Arephath, though you were least significant forces, one who is to be the ruler of Israel on my behalf will come out of you. 
His origin is from remote times, from ancient of days. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. The rest of his kin will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They will dwell secure because he will surely become great throughout the earth. He will become one of peace. He will become one of peace. Bethlehem is just outside of Jerusalem. And it's really this, this small, small village. It's really this small village. And though it is small, Bethlehem became, the, the, became central for Messianic hope before Jesus was born. You see, the world in which the prophet Micah spoke was a world that was full of turmoil and distress. The world in which he spoke, in which he wrote, was a world that was full of brokenness. Micah saw that there was great distress and and, and turmoil throughout the land and and destruction was right around the corner. So if you read the prophets, that's what he's talking about. Destruction and turmoil and pain that's happening all around. And of course... Of course, this type of hurting world is no stranger to you. It's no stranger to me. It's no stranger to history because this type of hurting and broken world is something that continues. I mean, today, much of the world is full of brokenness. Pain found in addictions and overdose. Mourning when loved ones die, especially when loved ones die this time of year. And then on a global scale, we continue to see the unjust war being perpetrated against Ukraine. We continue to see other conflicts and pain around the world. And it just is evident that the pain and brokenness is real. And so in the midst of all this hard stuff, the prophet Micah spoke and spoke and said, one is coming out of Bethlehem. One is coming out of Bethlehem who will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And because of this one coming out of Bethlehem, people will dwell secure. The people hadn't dwelt secure. They had been in pain and turmoil. But Micah says the people will dwell secure because one is coming. One is coming out of of God. And all of the earth, God has chosen this place to bring the hope of all the world. And the one to come will become will become one of peace. The prophet spoke that out of this particular place will come the one who will bring not just hope, but will bring peace. The way we sing it in the song, A Little Town of Bethlehem, goes like this. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. God chose Bethlehem. God chose Bethlehem to be the place where his redemption would come. God chose Bethlehem to, to, to be the place where he would begin picking up the brokenness of the world and renewing it through the life of Jesus. Several years ago, uh, many years after being in Bethlehem, um, I ordered Christmas presents for my whole family from the gift shop of the Bethlehem Bible College. 
The Bethlehem Bible College, we spent some time there when we were in Bethlehem, and it's a, it's a really a, a, neat, a neat place. And, and, and they work hard in, in service of uh, Palestinian Christians and, and trying to train leaders for the church's future. They also try to, try to teach and to share with, with Christians around the world about the plight of the Palestinian community. Anyways, they have a great gift shop that supports their work. So this is another advertisement. Perhaps um, Rock City doesn't need advertisements, but perhaps the gift shop of the Bethlehem Bible College might. And if you ever want to order, order gifts, this is a great place to do it. Um, and and you got to order them. I mean, it's coming from around the world, so you can't just order them tomorrow and expect them to be here for Christmas this year. But you could order and get things for Christmas next year. Anyway, so so they have this great Christmas gift shop and or great gift shop altogether. And and among um, the the blown glass ornaments and the small nativity sets that I ordered for my family, I also ordered this small piece of stained glass. And it may be hard to see. Um, but this small piece of stained glass, which is, uh, which is a candle, maybe particularly a, an Advent candle today, that has uh, three berries on it, some holly. And this small piece uh, of stained glass, this was an ornament that was made by the Geisman family. And you see, they started uh, making ornaments out of recycled glass. So this ornament is made from recycled glass. And it started during the second intifada when the Israeli military invaded Bethlehem. And, and this kind of like shut the entire city down. The, this family ran a gift shop where they, where they sell the, sold their, their, their arts and their crafts to the tourists that were coming. Well, during the, the second intifada with the Israeli occupation, there was, there was no uh, tourist industry, right? Everything was shut down. Unemployment was sky high. People did not have jobs. They were having trouble just sustaining themselves and the business that the family relied on really just dried up. And, and so they also found that, that as, the, as the military came in, and, and of course there was shelling and all this stuff that happened, there was broken glass and rubble all over the streets. You imagine any type of war zone. You're, you're, you're going to see wreckage and carnage, and, and some of that is just the destruction of property. And so, so you see across all the streets, there's all this broken glass. And so this family, perhaps along with some others, started to pick up the glass and make art out of it. Make art similar to this. Similar to this. Make, make, make beautiful stained glass and perhaps even larger ornaments and things that they would then be able to share and support their family. This work today continues as they pick up glass bottles that have been thrown on the streets by, by their fellow Bethlehemites and their, the tourists that go around and, 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 and throw and cast away their bottles on the ground. And so they pick up this art. They pick up this refuge. Refuse. This trash. And make something beautiful out of it. Make something beautiful out of it. I love what they say about their art. They say these broken pieces resembled the brokenness of our world. Can you imagine standing, your home is, is being occupied, there's, there's fighting going around you, and all your, your shops, the streets are broken glass around you, rubble from buildings around you, not a safe place for your kids to go play. And, and you walk around and see the brokenness that is all around you. And so they say these broken pieces resembled the brokenness of our world. And they are renewed just as we are in Christ. 
So their art of renewing the broken pieces, the broken glass, their art of renewing this into something beautiful is a symbol for this family and their ministry to share how all of us, how you and I can, can receive the, the renewed nature of Christ, how your life can, can even in the midst of the brokenness, even in the midst of the pain, be renewed through the grace and love of Jesus Christ that was born in Beth, or who was born in Bethlehem many, many years ago, but who is invited to be born again in you today. In the midst of this brokenness, God chose a particular place and a particular time to bring salvation. And Jesus continues to care about the brokenness in your life as God cared about the brokenness in Bethlehem. Jesus continues to care about the brokenness in your life and the pain that you know today. And just as this glass is redeemed as a beautiful symbol of Christ's love, God promises to choose you, to choose you, and to heal your brokenness and redeem your pain. The last verse of our carol lifts up Jesus' power to heal, to heal even you. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide in us, our Lord Emmanuel. This invitation is sung to make yourself a Bethlehem to make yourself open as a dwelling place for the Lord, to make yourself open as a place for Jesus to live, your problems as a place for Jesus to descend upon and heal, your sin as a place for Jesus to enter and to redeem. So you can pray, come to us, come to us, dear Jesus, come to me, come to me, dear Jesus, abide with us, abide in me, dear Jesus. This is the last Sunday before Christmas Eve and Christmas. We'll worship on Christmas Eve at 8 o'clock and Christmas Day at, at 10 in the morning. But this is the last Sunday to prepare your heart for the miracle that comes at Christmas. And I don't want you to leave today without knowing Jesus without knowing that Jesus is the one who can redeem all that is broken and all that is hurting in so if there's something inside of you that, that, needs, that needs help with this, you know that Jesus is right there. Jesus is right there and ready to pick up the broken glass and the broken pieces of your life and to form it into something that is beautiful. After all, if God cares enough about a particular place called Bethlehem, God sure and definitely, definitely cares about you. So regardless of what's going on, I just want to invite you to pray in, in just a few moments. And in fact, I just want to invite you to pray, pray with me now. And whether this is the first time you, you're, you're praying these words or whether this is you know, like the hundred thousand time you needed to pray this prayer, I just want you to invite you to pray it with me. You can pray it aloud or pray it in your heart wherever, wherever you are. Let's pray. God, heal my brokenness. God, heal my brokenness, heal my pain. God, help me to experience your true redemption. And if you can say that God has healed me, and I know that God has healed me, just take a moment to say thank you, God.
Thank you, God, for the miracle in my life. Thank you, God, for your breakthroughs and miracles in my life. Amen. May the peace of Jesus that promises to pick up all the pieces of your life and redeem them and heal them be in you this day. May you go in the peace and love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit until we meet again. Go in that blessing. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.